0: Did I turn up? Oh, sorry. I didn't have it on. You turned it way up. Then I turned it on. See how that worked there? That was nice. Uh, well, man, we're so excited that you guys are here. Uh, we are wrapping up our series, uh, Jesus Is Today. It's our last week of our series, Jesus Is. Super excited about that. Really excited about what I want to share today. But let me just reiterate one time what you heard uh, Tiffany say there in the church announcements. And that is next Sunday. You know this. Next weekend is our Easter weekend. All right, and so uh, help us out. Help yourself out. Pick that service time that works best for you. Pick that service time that you can help us serve at because we're expecting five to 600 people to be here uh, on Easter. Bring somebody with you. Invite somebody. We got those invite cards if you need some more of those. But we're just excited about what God's going to do, and we're just believing big. Not that there would be a lot of people in the room because that's cool, that's nice. But not that there would be a lot of people in the room, but that there would be a lot of people in the room who give their life to Jesus Christ. That's what we're excited about. And so that's next weekend. Uh, first time we're doing a Saturday night, 6 o'clock. And then, um, and then Sunday morning our service times at 10 and 11.30. So hopefully you can uh, be here for that. Well, my name is Jason, I'm one of the pastors on staff here at the church, and like I said, we're, we're closing out our series today, Jesus Is, where we've really just been taking a few weeks leading up to Easter uh, to talk about Jesus, which is always a good thing, and specifically talk about what Jesus is. And so over the last three weeks, we've talked about things like Jesus is better than sin, Jesus is better than those things that we're not sure that we could or should give up in order to uh, receive him, in order to accept him. Uh, Pastor Micah Pelkey was with us the second week and talked about how Jesus is healer, that where we are is not where we're going to stay, that that Jesus is doing something in our lives. It's a process and that he's healing us. And then last week we talked about Jesus being contagious, that Jesus, when when we love Jesus, when he is doing something in our lives um, that is for real, when we're really giving our lives over to him, there is something that overflows in us because, and this is what we said last week, because Jesus has done something in us, we kind of can't help, even though we're scared sometimes, even though we're afraid sometimes, we kind of can't help. But talk about that and share that it, when Jesus has done something um, pretty big in our lives. So today I want to close us out by talking about this statement Jesus is calling. Can you say that with me? Say that with me. Jesus is calling. Come on, one more time. Say that with me. Jesus is calling. And more specifically, I want to talk to you today about Jesus is calling you to take a risk. Jesus is calling you to take a risk. I want to talk about taking risks with Jesus today. Now, when I read the New Testament, there is something that haunts me. I don't know how much of the Bible you read. I would highly encourage it. It's life-changing. But I don't know how much you read. But when I read the New Testament, something that just haunts me is that When Jesus was around, and then right after when Jesus went back to heaven, so the Gospels and the book of Acts, those first five books in the New Testament, no one was able to follow Jesus without taking a risk. It's crazy, right? Like, there was no concept back then that you would um, attend a church, possibly give your life to Christ, possibly not, but if you did, it wouldn't really change anything about you or take much faith. That's why the Bible talks about that it takes faith to receive Christ. Yes, it takes faith to believe in Jesus that we can't see. That does require faith. But also in the context of back then, like it took faith because you had to literally step out and take a risk. For some people, that meant putting your life in danger. For some people, that meant leaving your home and father and mother that Jesus would show up and say, hey, follow me. And they'd be like, okay. And the Bible would say they would drop what they were doing. They would leave their profession. They would leave their family and follow Jesus For some people, that meant uh, putting themselves in an embarrassing place. For some people, that meant putting themselves in a place to be disowned by people because they were crossing over from something that was taboo. It was like you didn't get to follow Jesus without taking risk. There was no playing it safe. There was no, like, hey, I'm a Christian, uh, you know, but, you know, I'm not really like, I'm not really like, you know, kind of this like very outwardly, I'm just, I'm just kind of a, a Christian. There was no such thing as that. Like once you were in, you pretty much walked around with a huge sign that said, I'm in and I took risks. I took risks to get there. Now, probably like you, the older that I get, I uh, am less of a risk taker. As a matter of fact, uh, I recently had to take a, a survey, like a test uh, for some pastor coaching that I'm in and I took this this test, and it was to score my makeup in four specific areas as a leader. Uh, Passion, intelligence, guts, and luck. So it was scoring me in passion, intelligence, guts, and luck. And out of those four uh, levels, you know, some of you probably think it would be intelligence. That's not true. You'd be wrong about that. Intelligence was actually my highest one. Um, But guts was my lowest score. The guts was my lowest score, that I, I'm i just, I've, I've never really been much of a risk taker. Thinking about this message, I called my dad and my brother, and I said, hey, listen, I'm talking about taking risks Sunday. Can you think of any, like, stories growing up? I mean, funny stories would be great, but, you know, any stories where, like, I just took a big risk, and maybe it blew up in my face, and they would think, and think, and both of them said, like, no, I can't really think of one. Like, you just... You are not a big risk taker. And, and after I hung up with them, I thought about one. So I'm going to share with you the one time in my life as a, a growing up that I took a risk and it blew up in my face, okay? So I, growing up, my, my sports that I played was, um, was basketball and golf. Basketball and golf, that's what I played. That's still what I play uh, as an adult. And so, like, I just loved both of those sports. And we moved, my family moved my freshman year. After my freshman year, I lived in this small country town called Udawah, all right, and it just one exit, it was tiny, and, uh, and I was not great, but as a freshman in a small country town, I was really good, and I actually got to play JV instead of just freshman, I was averaging 10, 12 points a game, like I thought I was really good. So my dad tells me, hey, we're moving to Atlanta, I'm like, okay. So we moved to Atlanta, and I go to a high school with 800 freshmen, like 4,000 students, and I go and meet the coach and I say, hey, yeah, you know, I actually played JV uh, back in Tennessee and uh, started averaged 12 points a game. He's like, really? That's great, man. So uh, he did a little private workout with me. I did okay. And he said, well, listen, tryouts are in about uh, two months and, uh, and just be ready, man. Love to, love to have you uh, on the team. And so one of my life goals, one of my ambitions in life was to be able to dunk. Now, look, come on, take a look at me, all right? That's going to take a miracle. That's going to take Jesus coming through in a big way. But I don't know, if you, don't, if you grew up playing basketball, you know what I'm about to say. But like, there were these shoes that you would wear around that were like calf muscle building shoes. And they just had a big platform in the front. And so you'd walk on your toes to build your calf muscles so that you could jump higher. And so, man, I got me a, a pair of these, and I, I would wear them around. And sure enough, I was, getting able to, I was being able to jump higher and higher. And the goal at my house would lower from 10 to whatever I wanted. And so I would be practicing. And I got to where I could dunk a 9 and a half, uh, foot tall basketball goal. And so I so desperately wanted to be able to dunk at basketball tryouts. That was my goal. I've got two months to be able to dunk at basketball tryouts. So I'm wearing the shoes and I'm practicing. And I got to the point where I could dunk a tennis ball on a 10-foot goal because I could palm the ball but I couldn't dunk a real basketball. So I'm practicing, practicing. I get as good as I can get, and we go to basketball. We go into the tryouts. There's probably about 40 guys in there, and, um, and, and I'm, you know, I'm jumping around trying to stretch you out, trying to get loose to try to dunk, and I tried a couple times, and I couldn't get it, and before the coach got in there, um, some of the guys were trying to do like fancy dunks and stuff, and there was this guy named Bobby, and Bobby was the, uh, he was the defensive uh, or an offensive tackle for our football team. Bobby was huge. I'm talking about huge. And so Bobby was like throwing guys up so they could do like reverse dunks and everything. And I was like, Bobby, Bobby, throw me, throw me. And so I get ready, and I back up, and I, he says, okay, you run, you're just going to get right here two feet, I'm just going to launch you up. I said, sweet, I got this. And so I want to I show off in front of everybody. I got all these guys. You know, I've already tried by myself. I can't do it. I got all these guys watching. And I take off running, and I go, and I just timed it just a little bit wrong, just a little bit, just a little bit wrong. And, like, I kind of jumped before he threw me, and then he kind of threw me, and I'm up in the air, and I go to dunk like a Sprite commercial. Some of you know what I'm talking about. And I'm just a little bit short, and the ball kind of hits the front of the rim with my hand. I fall backwards, break my fall, and break my left wrist. Yeah, yeah, break my left wrist. But I'm the new kid at the school, and I don't want to not try out. So I don't know that it's broke. It just really hurts. And so I go get some tape, and I just tape it up. And I just go around tryouts, like with one arm, just kind of doing this. I go through the first day, and and I'm acting all tough, and I get in the car with my mom. She picks me up, and I said, I start crying, Mom, we got to (laughs) go to the doctor. Sure enough, it was broke. So I come back to school the next day with a cast, and long story short, I still ended up making the team. It was pretty cool. But I remember that day wanting so badly to dunk, and I was willing to take a risk and let Bobby, who I didn't know, throw me up. And it blew up uh, in my face. So that's really about the only risk that I ever took growing up, really. I mean, I, I tried to think of more, and I couldn't. And so today, I want to talk to you about taking risks. And I'm really kind of preaching to myself. So if it'll be okay with you today, I'm just going to kind of preach to myself a little bit. I'm going to let you sit in while I preach to myself, if that's okay. All right? And if I say something good, and you're like, Jason, you need to hear that. You need to say, Jason, hear that. And you just kind of let me preach to myself, all right? When we believe the truth, when we believe the truth with enough confidence to take action, that's when we exercise faith. Let me say it again. When we believe truth... With enough confidence to take action, we exercise faith. I'm going to say it one more time. When we believe truth with enough confidence to take action, we exercise faith. That's what exercising faith is. That's what uh, having faith is. Belief is having an opinion. Okay? Belief is having an opinion. But no matter how strong my belief is... Without action, it's just belief. you got to hear that. No matter how strong or how much I believe my opinion, without action, it's just belief. Okay? The action behind the confidence is what makes it faith. I didn't just believe I could dunk that day. I had faith that I could dunk. Now, I was a little off base, but I still had faith that I could dunk. And so a lot of us in the room today, we have strong opinions, strong beliefs, And we think maybe that it is our faith, but faith is action. Faith is doing. Belief is just having an opinion. So I'm going to read a really popular passage of Scripture to you today. Matthew chapter 14. Matthew chapter 14, verses 22 through 33. This is Jesus and his disciples. Jesus and his disciples. They've just fed. Jesus has just blessed the bread and the fish, and they've just fed 5,000 people, and this is what it says in verse 22. It says, immediately after this, Jesus insisted, after the feeding of the 5,000, Jesus insisted that his disciples get back into the boat and cross to the other side of the lake while he sent the people home. And after sending them home, he went up into the hills by himself to pray. Night fell while he was there alone. 24, meanwhile, the disciples were in trouble far away from the land for a strong wind had risen and they were fighting heavy waves. About three o'clock in the morning, Jesus came toward them walking on the water. And when the disciples saw him walking on the water, they were terrified. In their fear, they cried out, It's a ghost. It's a ghost. And that's a huge statement right there. We don't have time to talk about today, but a lot of times we just say stupid stuff when we're afraid, right? So they're afraid and they're like, Hey, it must be a ghost. <coughs> right? And so then Peter called out, or Jesus says, Take courage, I am here. And 28, then Peter called to him, Lord, if it's really you, tell me to come to you walking on the water. Yes, come, Jesus said. So Peter went over uh, the side of the boat and walked on the water towards Jesus. But when he saw the strong wind and the waves, he was terrified and began to sink. Save me, Lord, he shouted. And Jesus immediately reached out and grabbed him. You have such little faith, Jesus said. Why did you doubt me? And when they climbed back into the boat, the wind stopped, and the disciples worshipped him, saying, You really are the Son of God. And just kind of a cool little nugget here for you that has nothing to do with what we're talking today. Jesus actually did something like this twice. One time he was asleep in the boat, and there was a storm, and he calmed the storm. But that was earlier in the ministry of Jesus when the disciples were just getting to know him. And that time when he calmed the storm, the disciples said, Who is this man? Like his, his power and his, ama- his miracle-working power kind of scared them this time he does almost the same exact thing and they say surely you are the son of God that they're kind of getting accustomed to God doing miraculous things which is I just thought that was pretty cool so so in this story Matthew chapter 14 Jesus tells the disciples get in the boat and go across the lake so if I'm reading this right that means that Jesus intentionally put them in the middle of a storm Jesus knew exactly what was going to happen and Jesus said, I want, I'm not going with you. I was with you last time. I'm not going with you. I want you to go across this lake. And Jesus knew exactly what was going to happen. Jesus put them intentionally in a place of chaos, knowing exactly what he was doing. You know God does that sometimes, right? You know God does that. Why would he do that? Why would God intentionally ever put us in a place of chaos? Why would God ever put us in a place of storm or a place of fear? Right. Well, the sad truth is that you and I rarely exercise our faith until we have to. That's just kind of the reality. It's sad, but it's true. You and I rarely exercise our faith until we have to. And Jesus is not okay with us living a comfortable life that doesn't require faith. So sometimes he'll put us in a storm at 3 o'clock in the morning. And so I don't like that. Well, Jesus doesn't like when we don't live a life of faith. Jesus doesn't want us to have a relationship with God that doesn't require faith. It's not even really possible. And so sometimes because we all get stagnant, we all stay where we are, Jesus says, you know what? You know what will awaken their faith? A storm at 3 o'clock in the morning. And you and I have been there probably. If we've lived long enough, we've been at some of those 3 o'clock in the morning chaotic situations in our life. And we've never prayed harder. And we've never believed more, and we've never been closer to Jesus in all of our life, having that faith built up in us, right? Now, please hear me, because this is so huge. I want you to hear this. Come on, Jason. Hear this. Hear this, Jason. Jesus didn't save you to keep you safe. Jesus didn't save you to keep you safe. And I know that there are a lot of Christian organizations and Christian churches and Christian beliefs and 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 I love them, and we all got our flavor, and God uses all of that. But I know there's a lot of them out there who talk like the culture is evil, who talk like the world is evil. And the best thing that all the Christians can do is get together, isolate ourselves, create schools, restaurants, TV stations, radio stations, isolate ourselves, pull ourselves away, and the best thing that we could do to glorify God is to pray that he will keep us safe and isolated from being influenced by anyone else around us. That's the most unbiblical thing I've ever heard in my life. It's not true. Jesus says, I don't want you to be of the world, but I want you to be right smack dab in it. And I didn't, I, I didn't save you to keep you safe. Jesus didn't save you to keep you safe. I believe that God puts crazy, risky ideas in every person's heart. I believe that. I believe that when we follow Jesus Christ, like the people in the Bible, that he injects us with crazy, uh, 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 risky ideas that he puts in our hearts. Sometimes it's, it's business ideas, right? Sometimes it's sharing our faith with someone. Sometimes it's praying for someone and kind of putting our name on the line, believing that God's going to do something big. Sometimes it's just crazy ideas rolling around in our head. Something that we can't shake. God speaks to me like that all the time. That like someone, I'll be in a conversation with someone or I'll be reading my Bible and he'll just kind of put a thought in there and I'll be like, oh yeah, whatever. And then three weeks later, I'm like, oh, I cannot get it out of my head, right? That just happened recently here with the staff. Just something that somebody said. I'm like, oh yeah, whatever. And then like a week later, I'm just like, I can't stop thinking. And, and just it's there, it's sitting there, right? Maybe it's something that keeps coming up in conversations with people. Like, that's odd. I talked to that guy, and that came up, and then I talked to that guy, and that came up, and I talked, that came up. Like, this keeps coming up, right? Maybe it's a dream that you had a long time ago that has, that has died, maybe, right? I believe that God puts those crazy, risky ideas in our hearts and in our heads, and he lets it grow, and he lets it haunt us a little bit, and he lets it bother us a little bit, and he lets us excite us a little bit, and then he says, like he did to Peter, okay. Come on. Okay. I love that idea. Come on, let's do it. Let's do it. So, for a couple of minutes we got left today. What can we learn from Peter in this story? What is it we can take away from Peter in this story? I want to give you just two things that I, that I love about this, and I think is so great for our relationship with God. And the first one is this: is that people who walk on water sometimes sink. People who walk on water sometimes sink. You know who never sinks? People that don't walk on water. They never sink. You know who sinks? People who walk on water. Sometimes people who walk on water sink. And I love in this story, and there's actually another version of it in the book of Mark, but I love how Jesus reaches down and he saves Peter. He pulls him up and he says, you have little faith. And my whole life I've read that and heard that preached like, oh, poor Peter, you have little faith. I don't think that's what he was saying. I mean, we don't know, but I don't think that's what he's saying. I, I think I've got to look at it and go, at least Peter had a little faith. Jesus could have turned to the boat and said, You have no faith. He didn't he didn't do that. But I don't think Jesus was like, Oh, poor Peter, you have little faith. I think he was saying, You have little faith. And sometimes it just takes a little faith. And it just as long as we don't have no faith, right? And when is the last time you obeyed God and did something that scared you? When's the last time that you obeyed God and did something that scared you? Kept you up at night if it didn't work? It probably wouldn't be good, right? Actually, as a team and as a staff, uh, starting with me, uh, but we have come to realize that we don't take enough risk at River City Worship Center. That you you may not know this, but you actually go to a pretty safe church. Our greatest strength is also our greatest weakness, and that's our stability. I've never been at a church that has more stability, more accountability, more structure, more financial integrity. Like I've never been at a church that like we love our stability around here, but it's also our greatest weakness. And so we've decided as a church that we're going to start taking more risk. And as a team, we're going to start taking more risk. And we actually have a theme as a staff this year. Uh, and, and here's kind of our statement, our theme that, we are, that we're using with one another in our, in our meetings. And, say, and here it is. It may not work, but let's try it anyway. It may not work, but let's try it anyway. It may not work, but let's try it anyway. And so Corey or John or Kim or I will be talking. And 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 they gotta tell this to me more than I tell it to them. But Corey and I were just out of town talking about stuff and he brought up something and I gave him fifteen reasons why it wouldn't work. And Corey's like, well, you know, it may not work, but let's try it anyway. I said, I like that. Let's do that. I like that. So as a team, we just said, you know what, we're we're gonna take more risks. And when an idea comes up that we're unsure of... Matter of fact, we had a meeting when we talked about this. We had a dry race board. And I said, just shoot me ideas that we think are ridiculous and crazy and would maybe never work. But come on. Let's do it. Come on. All right. And we started writing them down. And there was like 15 of them. And most of them seemed ludicrous. But we said, you know what, May not work. Let's try it. Let's do it. Because people who walk on water sometimes sink. So it may not work. But a couple of them will. And when you talk to successful people in life and successful people in business... They can give you all the stories of when it worked. And you start talking about examples of when it didn't and how bad it hurt and things like that. They can remember how it didn't work, but they don't ever remember that it was uh, damaging to their life. They just, they just kept going. They sunk, they got back up, and they went. And that's what we want to do as a church. We want to take some more risk. And so we're going to be doing that. And it's, it may not work. Everything's an experiment around here. But we're okay with sinking as long as we spend some time walking on the water. The second thing we can learn from Peter is this. To not sink is not the goal of a relationship with God. To not sink is not the goal of a relationship with God. I think if you're not sinking sometimes, you're not swimming in deep enough waters. That if you've never sunk, come on, hear this, Jason. If you've never sunk, is that the right tense of that? Sunk? Okay, I got an English teacher down here. If you've never sunk, you're probably not swimming in deep enough waters. And I love that this happened to Peter because Peter lived this, man. Peter walked on the water, and he sank. Peter thought he was protecting Jesus and cut a guy's ear off. Jesus is like, Peter, stop that, bro. Peter steps up on the day of Pentecost and hits a home run, but he wasn't scared. Peter goes to Cornelius' house when it could excommunicate him from everyone he's ever known. That Peter, Peter was a guy who said, you know what, this may not work, but I'm going to try it anyway. Peter was a guy who said, You know what? To not sink is not the goal of a relationship with Jesus Christ. And so he just kept doing these things. And that's why we talk about him more than any other disciple. To not sink is not the goal of a relationship with God. So, what's holding you back today? What's keeping you from taking risks? What's keeping you from following Jesus as he calls you to step out on waters? What's, keep, what's keeping you from, from stepping out and trusting God for something big in your life? Is it fear? Insecurity, limitations, lies. It's probably lies. Because believing lies completely clogs up the working of our faith, right? Unbelief prevents us from ever seeing God do the miraculous things in our lives. So what lies are you believing today? What, what, what insecurities are you believing? Maybe, maybe you're believing the lie that it'll never work. Maybe you're believing the lie that I'll be too embarrassed Maybe you're believing the lie that people will think you're crazy, but well, that actually is probably true, but that's that's good sometimes that 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 normal people think you're crazy. That's actually good sometimes. What about this lie? I don't have what it takes. I'm limited. I don't have enough money, I don't have enough talent. I, I, I want to do something big for God. I want to do something great for God. But I've never, I, I never went to seminary where they taught you to walk on water. I, I never went to the class. I never went through the training. I don't know how to walk on water. I can't do this. What about that? What about the fact that you're limited? And, and, and you can see maybe Facebook posts on your, on your timeline sometimes about all these inspirational posters that say, hey, if you believe it, you can achieve it. If you can, you know, there's nothing you can't do and blah, blah, blah. Can I tell you the truth? That's just not true. You are limited. Can I tell you that? You're limited. I can't dunk. I can't dunk a basketball. And I'm never going to play in the NBA. Every man in my life and my family looks exactly like this. And over the years, we just get wider. That's it. That's it. is the tallest person in our whole family, like aunts, uncles, that's it, like everybody. We were built for golf. I mean, we were built for golf, just not any other sport, right? We're limited. Can I tell you something else? You're not good enough. You need to know that. You're not good enough. That God's asking you to swim in deep waters, and you're not good enough. That's why he's asking you to do it. And if you feel like you could do it without God, it's not God. You're not good enough. What if what you think disqualifies you is the very thing that God wants to use to do something incredible? That's good. What if you think? What if the thing that you think disqualifies you is the very thing that God wants to use to do something in your life? So what? You're divorced. What if God wants to use that to minister to thousands of divorced people in South Louisville? So what? You had addictions. So what? You can't kick the addictions right yet. So what? You went bankrupt. What if that's what God wants to use? I want to show you something, uh, and this is actually a, t- a ten-minute video. So you just have to put up with it. I'm sorry. I tried to rush through my notes, but there's a ten-minute video, a TED talk by a guy named uh, I think his name's Phil Hanson, Peter Hanson. I can't remember. It's something handsome. And uh, I want you to see uh, this video. I'll let it. I'll let it explain itself. Let's roll that video, guys.
1: So when I was in art school, I developed a shake in my hand, and this was the straightest line I could draw. Now, in, in hindsight, it was actually good for some things, like mixing a can of paint or shaking a Polaroid. But at the time, this was really doomsday. This was, this was the destruction of my dream of becoming an artist. The shake developed out of really a single-minded pursuit of pointillism, just years of making tiny, tiny dots. And eventually, these dots went from being perfectly round, to looking more like tadpoles because of the shake. So to compensate, I'd hold the pen tighter, and this progressively made the shake worse, so I'd hold the pen tighter still. And this became a vicious cycle that ended up causing so much pain and joint issues, I had trouble holding anything. And after spending all my life wanting to do art, I left art school, and then I left art completely. But after a few years, I just couldn't stay away from art, and I decided to go to a neurologist about the shake and discovered I had permanent nerve damage. And he actually took one look at my squiggly line and said, well, why don't you just embrace the shake? So I did. I went home, I grabbed a pencil, and I just started letting my hand shake and shake. I was making all these scribble pictures. And even though it wasn't the kind of art that I was ultimately passionate about, it felt great. And more importantly, once I embraced the shake, I realized I could still make art. I just had to find a different approach to making the art that I wanted. Now, I still enjoyed the fragmentation of pointillism, seeing these little tiny dots come together to make this unified whole. So I began experimenting with other ways to fragment images where the shake wouldn't affect the work, like dipping my feet in paint and walking on a canvas. Or in a 3D structure consisting of two-by-fours, creating a 2D image by burning it with a blowtorch. I discovered that if I worked on a larger scale and with bigger materials, my hand really wouldn't hurt. And after having gone from a single approach to art, I ended up having an approach to creativity that completely changed my artistic horizons. This was the first time I'd encountered this idea that embracing a limitation could actually drive creativity. At the time, I was finishing up school, and I was so excited to get a real job and finally afford new art supplies. I had this horrible little set of tools, and I felt like I could do so much more with the supplies I thought an artist was supposed to have. I actually didn't even have a regular pair of scissors. I was using these metal shears until I stole a pair from the office that I worked at. So I got out of school, I got a job, I got a paycheck, I got myself to the art store, and I just went nuts buying supplies. And then when I got home, I sat down and I set myself to test to really try to create something just completely outside of the box. But I sat there for hours, and nothing came to mind. The same thing the next day, and then the next, quickly slipping into a creative slump. And I was in a dark place for a long time, unable to create. And it didn't make any sense, because I was finally able to support my art, and yet I was creatively blank. But as I searched around in the darkness, I realized I was actually paralyzed by all of the choices that I never had before. And it was then that I thought back to my jittery hands embrace the shake. And I realized if I ever wanted my creativity back, I, I had to quit trying so hard to think outside of the box and get back into it. I wondered, could you become more creative then by looking for limitations? What if I could only create with a dollar's worth of supplies. At this point, I was spending a lot of my evenings in, well, I guess I still spend a lot of my evenings in Starbucks, but I know you can ask for an extra cup if you want one. So I decided to ask for 50. Surprisingly, they just handed them right over, and then with some pencils I already had, I made this project for only 80 cents. It really became a moment of clarification for me that we need to first be limited in order to become limitless. I took this approach of thinking inside the box to my canvas and wondered, what if instead of painting on a canvas, I could only paint on my chest? <laughs> so I painted 30 images, one layer at a time, one on top of another, with each picture representing an influence in my life. Or what if instead of painting with a brush, I could only paint with karate chops? <laughs> so I dipped my hands in paint, and I just, I just attacked the canvas. And I actually hit so hard that I bruised a joint in my pinky, and it was stuck straight for a couple weeks. Or, what if if instead of relying on myself, I had to rely on other people to create the content for the art? So, for six days, I lived in front of a webcam, I slept on the floor, and I ate takeout. And I asked people to call me and share a story with me about a life-changing moment. Their stories became the art as I wrote them onto the revolving canvas. Or, what if instead of making art to display, I had to destroy it? This seemed like the ultimate limitation, being an artist without art. This destruction idea turned into a year-long project that I called Goodbye Art, where each and every piece of art had to be destroyed after its creation. In the beginning of Goodbye Art, I focused on forced destruction, like this image of Jimi Hendrix, made with over 7,000 matches. Then I opened it up to creating art that was destroyed naturally. I looked for temporary materials, like spitting out food. (laughs) Sidewalk chalk. And even frozen wine. The, The last iteration of destruction was to try to produce something that didn't actually exist in the first place. So I organized candles on a table, I lit them, and then blew them out then repeated this process over and over with the same set of candles, then assembled the videos into the larger image. So the end image was never visible as a physical whole. It was destroyed before it ever existed. In the course of this Goodbye art series, I created 23 different pieces with nothing left to physically display. What I thought would be the ultimate limitation actually turned out to be the ultimate liberation. As each time I created, the destruction brought me back to a neutral place where I felt refreshed and ready to start the next project. It, didn't, it did not happen overnight. <laughs> there were times when my projects failed to get off the ground, or even worse, after spending tons of time on them, the end image was kind of embarrassing. But having committed to the process, I continued on. And something really surprising came out of this. As I destroyed each project, I was learning to let go let go of outcomes, let go of failures, and let go of imperfections. And in return, I found a process of creating art that's perpetual, and unencumbered by results. I found myself in a state of constant creation, thinking only of what's next, and coming up with more ideas than ever. When I think back to my three years away from art, away from my dream, just going through the motions, instead of trying to find a different way to continue that dream, I just quit. I gave up. And what if I didn't embrace the shake? Because embracing the shake for me wasn't just about arts and having art skills. It turned out to be about life and having life skills. Because ultimately, most of what we do takes place here, inside the box, with limited resources. Learning to be creative within the confines of our limitations is the best hope we have to transform ourselves, and, collectively, transform our world. Looking at limitations as a source of creativity changed the course of my life. Now, when I run into a barrier or I find myself creatively stumped, I sometimes still struggle, but I continue to show up for the process and try to remind myself of the possibilities, like using hundreds of real live worms to make an image, (laughs) using a pushpin to tattoo a banana, or painting a picture with hamburger grease. (laughs) One of my most recent endeavors is to try to translate the habits of creativity that I've learned into something others can replicate. Limitations may be the most unlikely of places to harness creativity, but perhaps one of the best ways to get ourselves out of ruts, rethink categories, and challenge accepted norms And instead of telling each other to seize the day, maybe we can remind ourselves every day to seize the
0: limitation. Thank you. Good, so good. You hear what he said? He said, I was learning to let go of outcomes, failures, and imperfections. I was learning to let go of outcomes, failures, and imperfections. So what if I sink sometimes? So what if I fall sometimes? So what if I'm not good enough? So what if I don't have what it takes? So what if I have these things that are embarrassing? i got to learn to let go of outcomes, failures, and imperfections. So at the beginning of this year, uh, I'm a a big list guy, and so at the beginning of this year I had my 2014 uh, personal goals for my life that I want to accomplish this year and I have 11 things written down and and one of those things is to teach Sadie how to ride her bike without training wheels and I don't want to force it because Sadie is not the most courageous person in the world she's actually quite a bit of a scaredy cat and so I wanted it to kind of be her idea a little bit, but when the opportunity came, I wanted to seize it. And so uh, she's always had her training wheels on, and, um, but her neighbor, Addison, doesn't have training wheels. And so she's noticed and Grayson doesn't have training wheels and she's kind of noticing these things. And, and so yesterday we're talking, or she's riding her bike and she said, daddy, I can't go fast, blah, blah, blah. And I said, well, what if we took the training wheels off? Would you like to take the training wheels off? She goes, okay, okay. So we go and we take the training wheels off. And I said, listen, I said, here's the key. You're probably going to fall a couple times, but just keep pedaling. The way to keep your balance is to keep pedaling. So I'm going to hold on. I'm not going to let go right away, but there's going to come a point where I'm going to let go. You just keep pedaling, keep pedaling, keep pedaling, keep keep pedaling, right? Okay, dad. Okay, I'll do it. I'll do it. I'll do it. Parents, you've done this, I'm sure. So we go out on the sidewalk and we get her up on the bike and she starts you know and i'm kind of going with her going with her going with her and i'm holding on we do it a couple times with me holding on Then we go a couple times and i let go she'll go just a little bit she'll fall over but then she, she she falls over and gets hurt then the next time she falls over and puts her feet down and catches herself then the next time she she stops pedaling but she's able to stand up straight we were never able to totally get it there but but it was a it was great it was a success it was good so i go back inside this is yesterday go back inside and she is outside with Addison I got the front door open and Addison says hey let's ride our bikes and so Addison gets his bike and Sadie decides instead of riding the small bike that she normally rides with the base and everything she goes and gets her bike without the training wheels no dad out there to help her she goes and gets it and she tries and she fails miserably and she falls and she comes inside and she's crying and she's screaming at me and this is what she says she says she's crying she's hurt and she says daddy why did you ask me that question I have no idea what she's talking about I mean this is the greatest sermon illustration ever thank you Jesus she says daddy why did you ask me that question I said Sadie what are you talking about she said why did you ask me do I want to take the training wheels off I said Sadie because Because, you know, it was time, and you you did a great job. Like, we'll try again tomorrow. She said, I don't want the training wheels off. You never should have asked me that question. I said, we'll try it tomorrow. We'll try it tomorrow. And I was thinking about today and just thinking about where we were going. And isn't that how we do, God? God, why'd you do that? Why'd you put me in that spot? Why'd you ask me to take the training wheels off? Why'd you give me that idea? How come you didn't work out all my problems? Why'd you put me in the 3 o'clock storm? Why did you do that, God? And God says, I want you to rob without training wheels. I just wrote this prayer down at the bottom of my notes last night. Came in and just thinking like, wow, right in front of you, there it is. Simple prayer. God, take the training wheels off my life. He said, he, he said childlike faith. He said become like a child, kingdom of God, it's like a child. So God, take the training wheels off. God, take the training wheels off. We're going to fall. Just keep pedaling. We're going to fall, just keep pedaling. God, take the training wheels off my life. Let's pray. God, would you make this a place and a church of risk takers, gutsy people? God, nothing great's ever going to be accomplished without risk. Nothing great is ever going to be accomplished without stepping out in faith. Nothing great's ever going to be accomplished without taking a chance. And God, you want to do something great in our lives. We got to take a risk. We got to take a chance. So God, I just pray today that you would inject us with faith and courage and boldness and action. Would you do that, God? Will you send us out of these doors today with the willingness to do something risky for you? Will you let us walk on the water today, God? Will you call us out of the boat? Give us a chance to take a chance. In Jesus' name, amen.